All right, well, good morning. Happy Easter. How many of y'all like people who talk fast? Woo! Nine of you. Well, I apologize to the rest. Uh, I'm kind of fired up this morning. You know, as Mason said, I mean, this is it. This is the day we've been moving toward. This is the day where light swallows darkness. Take that in. Let that apply to you. It's a day in which life swallows death. Like, take that in. Let that fill you up. It's a day that says that in Jesus, in the end, we win. And even when everything looks dark and death seems to be winning. Guys, it's all all right. Not just it's going to be all right. In Christ, even now, it's all right. That's not a bad day. That's a good day. And I'm going to give you 40 minutes of material in the next 20. (laughs) So you're welcome. All right, here's what I want to do today. I want you to see that this is a day that changes everything. And as Mason said, make it personal. It changes everything for you. Or here's the alternative. It changes nothing. What's the difference? What you do with it. That's it. What I do with this day either means it changes everything or it means it changes nothing. It's the condition of us all. So here's what I want to do. I want to take our time and I want to look at the example of a guy that we find in the Bible who gets it right. Like he knows what to do with it. Like somehow, instinctively, he just understands and does it and shows us what it looks like. And his name is Zacchaeus. And if you're familiar with the story of Zacchaeus, then you know that Zacchaeus is almost certainly deformed in body. But then also in soul. And if I could just play kind of an amateur psychiatrist or psychologist today, I'm just going to tell you, I think those things in his life are most likely connected. If you know the story of Zacchaeus, you know that much of what drives the narrative of the story is actually this man's height, or really, in his case, his lack of height. And look, if you're a guy and you're under six foot, you probably have thought at times, I have lack of height, right? If you're over six foot, you just feel great about yourself and the rest of us resent you. All right, just know that. I am five, nine and a half with my shoes on and 14 pairs of socks. That's the deal. And until I was about 40 and realized it doesn't matter, you know, I would have liked to have been six foot. The people that I really think that we need to pray for are those who make it to five, 11 and a half. You know what I mean? And be honest, if that's you, you just lie about it, don't you? You just say I'm six foot. Now, but you're not. So you're not. And the half matters, guys. Until you hit six foot, then you don't care. That's not what we're talking about with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus almost certainly had a condition that we know today as a chondroplasia. In other words, he had dwarfism. So he's not five, nine and a half. He's about three foot five and a half. That's different. And what that did is it created a world for him that he was born into. He didn't choose this. This just happened. He's born into this world in which he literally looks up at everyone else in his world and in which everyone else in the world literally looks down at him. And not all the time just literally, but figuratively as well. Look, a lot of times, you know, adults don't know how to handle Zacchaeus in a non-awkward fashion. So how do you think the kids he grew up with did? What do you think he heard? What do you think they said? Take that in for a minute. That hurts. Something in him at some point broke. And being a brilliant, gifted, capable man, he decided to change his world. 
He said, I'm going to create a world for myself in which I get to look down on everyone else, and everyone else is forced, if necessary, to look up to me. And he didn't do that by climbing up on a ladder. He did that by becoming a tax collector. In the days of Zacchaeus, in the days of Jesus, all the Jews, and he's a Jew, were under Roman occupation. The whole land was governed over by the Romans who came in, and after they raped and pillaged and plundered everybody, not kidding about that, then took out a map and they took out the land and they divided it up into different taxing districts based upon trade routes and wealthy cities and all of these kinds of things. And then they took the taxing districts and then they went to the local people that lived in these areas and they auctioned off these taxing districts to people who became tax collectors, who, if you think about it, then became the least popular people in their world. Why? Because here is one of your native countrymen, somebody who knows where all the money is. You can see the genius from the Rome's perspective who has now paid your hated enemies and conquerors money, okay, so that they can help your hated enemies and conquerors take more from you than they've already taken, and so that they can take from you themselves because that's the way that it worked. Rome would come alongside the brand new tax collector and say, thank you so much, you did a great job, you win the auction, here's a small army. Now use this to get the money by force, if necessary, from your people. By the way, you need to pay Rome this much this year, but you, Mr. Tax Collector, can collect as much as you want. And they did. And they wanted it all. I mean, these guys, to become a tax collector, knowingly sold their soul. Why do I say that? Because they knew that as soon as they became a tax collector, they would be barred from the temple in Jerusalem. Why does that matter? It matters because that's where sacrifices for sin were alone made. Zacchaeus is like, yeah, I'm a little ticked at God anyway, so maybe that's okay for me. They were kicked out of their families. They were dispossessed by their friend. Nobody wanted to do business with them, and they didn't need anybody's business. Zacchaeus is like, ah, you know, I haven't been all that popular anyway. These people have not been all that kind to me anyway. I don't really care if they like me or not. you believe that? No. I think that's what underlies so much of what he did, how much he actually did care and how much he was hurt. Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector. Just so you know, he is called the chief tax collector. That is the only time this is used in ancient literature, that phrase. So what that means is that Zacchaeus had built a pyramid, you know, like a pyramid scheme. What is a pyramid, by the way? It's a, it's a mountain, and he's at the top of the mountain, if you will, and he's got all of these other tax collectors working for him underneath him. By the way, he's the tax collector in the city of Jericho, famously wealthy city, on one of the three largest trade routes in the whole region of the world. He's got a mountain that he's built. How many of you are building mountains? Don't raise your hand. I think a lot of us are doing this. I'm going to create, and I'm not even thinking about it consciously, but I'm going to make a monument to me because I just want to know I've left my mark on this world somehow. Like I just want to leave behind something that bears my name, that says I was here. Drive through town. We've got all kinds of buildings named after super generous people that I'm incredibly thankful for. 150 years from now, where are those buildings going to be? How do you leave an eternal mark? Like, how do you contribute to the building of a mountain that doesn't move? Because we all want to do it. Hey, here's the other thing about mountains. And again, figuratively speaking, okay, we're all climbing mountains, are we not? And we think that we're going to get to the top of the mountain and and it's going to be everything that we hoped it would be for us. Like, finally, that's it. Like, that's what life looks like. That's what significance looks like. That's what success looks like. That's what meaning looks like. That's what purpose looks like. I'm going to get up there and I'm going to go, whoo, breathe deep. 
Be satisfied. Be full, because I'm full there at the top of the mountain. Till I get to the top of the mountain. And some of you are at the top of a mountain, or you've been to mountain after mountain after mountain, because that's the way that it works. You get to the top of the mountain, and you're like, oh, maybe that mountain's the answer. Because this one's not. I mean, it's nice, and but it's not it. Zacchaeus is at the top of the list when it comes to tax collectors. He's at the bottom of everyone else's list. And by this stage in his life, he's realized all of his mountain building and all of his mountain climbing is not doing for him what he thought that it would. And it's bitterly disappointing. I mean, yeah, people look up to him, but they look up to him in disgust. Resentment. Hatred. Rejection. It's tough, man. I mean, this guy's bank accounts, they're all full. His life is bankrupt. He has all this money. He can't buy back his soul. He has all these servants. They do all of his bidding. He does not have one friend, not one real friend. For all that he has accumulated, and he has accumulated more than any of us times 10. The thing that he has the most of is regret. And then Jesus comes to town. And all of a sudden, he knows what to do with him. It's amazing. Jesus is coming up. He's going to travel through the city of Jericho, and he's going to go up to the city of Jerusalem. And there will begin that week that Mason just laid out for us. Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday. Hey, you know what? It's Easter. This day, too. Like, it's all coming immediately on the backside of this story. And Jesus is traveling through this town. And Zacchaeus, like everyone else at this point, has heard about Jesus. But here's what he's heard. That he's a friend of, do you know the word? Sinners. And what does he know about himself? I'm a sinner. He wants a friend. He knows that Jesus has a guy in his, in his inner, 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 inner core named Matthew. He used to be a tax collector. I don't know. He probably used to go to tax collecting conventions, you know, with Matthew. Where's Matthew? Now he's following that Jesus guy now. Really? So Jesus took him in and, oh yeah, Jesus says, you know, hey, you can come to me and it's, it's all good and Zacchaeus gets the word that Jesus is coming, but apparently, like, nobody tells him until, like, it's too late, because he shows up, Main Street, where Jesus is going to move right through the center of town, is lined with people, all of them above three foot five and a half, and none of them willing to let him through. Why? Not because he's deformed out here, but because he's deformed in here. And so he can't see Jesus, and he can't, get a, he can't get a hold of Jesus, and he can't get the attention of Jesus, and like he can't break through to Jesus. And this man is so desperate, notwithstanding all that he's amassed and acquired, I've got everything I thought I wanted. He's more desperate, not less, that he does something that no Middle Eastern man that had any respect at all for himself would do. He doesn't care about his dignity at this point. He realizes it's gone, and it doesn't matter if I don't mean Jesus anyway. And so he reaches down, and he grabs his robes, and he ties them off at his thigh. I notice many of you are wearing shorts today. By the way, no judgment. I'm jealous. That's great. I just didn't want to distract you with my legs, so I wore pants. (laughs) Otherwise, you'd be going, man, those knees are... Anyway... But in that culture, men did not wear shorts. They did not bare their legs. It was undignified. It was beneath a man. He's like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. I got to see Jesus. And then he runs. That's another thing. 
Men didn't run. Why? Because it made it look like life was out of control. Like, oh, is there something you're not in charge of here? Is there something beyond your control here? Is there something that's panicked you here? Because you got to have it all under control, don't you? He's gotten it all under control. Or has he? He races up the street. He runs up ahead of where Jesus is. There's sycamore fig trees that were planted alongside this main road to give shade to the people who would walk through and to give sustenance. You know, like, you know, in the season you can eat the figs. And and so this fig trees, by the way, they have low branches. And so even Zacchaeus can reach that lower limb and he pulls himself up and he climbs up into the tree and he goes over the top of the road and he's sitting in the tree and Jesus is down the street. And he can see Jesus and at some point, Jesus can see him. And what is he saying in his tree? I think it's pretty obvious. He's going, hey, Jesus, I'm a tax collector and a sinner. I'm a guy who is broken out here, but far more significantly in here. I'm a guy who has lived my life in such a way that these guys won't even let me through the crowd, even though it's not like I would block their view of you. I'm a thief. I'm a criminal. Just ask anyone around. My life has put me up a tree and it is a tree of guilt and it is a tree of regret and it is a tree of shame and it is a tree of failure and it is a tree of sin. And it, I mean, just line up all of the words, all of it. I'll just sign the bottom of the page. This is my tree. Here I am. I don't care if they see me. I just want to be sure you do. What a beautiful confession. So what does Jesus do? In Luke 19, beginning in verse 5, it says, And when Jesus came to the place of this tree, he looked up and he saw Zacchaeus in the tree, and he said to him, Zacchaeus. Now imagine this from Zacchaeus' perspective, because the first really shocking piece of this is he knows my name. How does he know Zacchaeus' name? Who are we dealing with? He knows his name because he's God. He knows his name because he knows everything. He doesn't just know his name, he knows everything about him. Everything that's put him in the tree, he knows. All of his hurt, he knows. He knows that about you. Jesus Christ is God-made man. He knows your name too. He knows every piece of your life, which is terrifying on some level, isn't it? Until you see what he does. And then it's relieving says, when Jesus came to this place of the tree, he looked up in the tree and he says to him, Zacchaeus, here's the other shocking thing about this. You have the son of God calling this man Zacchaeus. You're like, that's not shocking at all. It's his name. You said he's God. He knows his name. Why wouldn't he use his name? His name means righteous one or pure one. That's the shocking part. And he calls him that in the tree. And then he goes beyond that. He says, hurry. Come down out of your tree of sin and guilt and shame because I've just changed my plans. I was just going to pass through. I was on my way to Jerusalem, kind of have some important things to do later this week. But I'm going to stop and I'm going to stay with you. I must, he says, stay at your house today. And so Zacchaeus is like super excited about this. He hurries and he comes down out of the tree and he receives Jesus joyfully. But he's the only one who's joyful in this moment apart maybe from Jesus. All the crowd is stunned and insulted. Why? Well, this too is cultural. 
you know, like we hang out, like if I met you and I've never met you before and I said, oh, let's go grab lunch, you know, or let's go get a coffee or whatever, you know. There would be really not a lot of thought to that. It would be just fine. It'd be no big deal. We wouldn't be making some kind of a major cultural statement. But back then, you were very thoughtful about who you were seen with. You were very thoughtful about who you dined with in particular. You were very thoughtful about stay at the house of and dine with them several times. Careful, careful in the management of your image, and the management of your status, and the management of the way that everybody saw you. That's some pressure. Sounds like Instagram. Seriously, I don't need that. For you to dine with someone, much less to stay in their house, was for you to publicly state, I and this person are one. So when Jesus does this from the perspective of the crowd who are massively insulted by this, they're like, you've got to be kidding me. You just defiled yourself with the defilement of Zacchaeus. Good grief, you called him out of the tree. Why don't you just get up and replace him? Hang on to that. Luke says, and when the crowd saw this, they all grumbled. They were excited. Now they're not excited anymore. They were celebrating Jesus. Now they're like, what are we dealing with here? And they said, Jesus has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Listen, take heart. One of the primary criticisms of Jesus is that he is a friend of sinners. I think that is awesome. I love that. Like there is no one beyond his reach and Zacchaeus is proving it. Jesus isn't worried about his image. He's worried about this man's soul. Anyway, notice what happens. They get to the house of Zacchaeus, and it says that while Jesus was at the home of this self-declared sinner, Zacchaeus stood. And by the way, when he stood at this table, he was legit the tallest guy in the room in that moment. Why? Because their tables were set just just a maybe a foot or less off the ground. They didn't sit in chairs like you guys are in right now, tall tables like we all have, you know, with our elbows on it, none of that. They had these low tables, put all the food on the tables, and then they put along the table these, these like cushions, and they would lay on their left side, and then they would eat with their right hand is the idea. So all three foot five, don't miss it, and a half of Zacchaeus stands. He's the tallest guy in the room. He is tallest in his repentance. And even Jesus is looking up at him. And to stand in that culture in this kind of a setting was to say, I'm about to make a statement that is legally binding on me. In other words, whatever comes out of my mouth next, I'm going to be required to do. And notice what he says. He said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. How many of y'all are nervous right now? You're like, oh, no, 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 no. Wait a minute now. He just liquidated half of his considerable net worth. You're thinking, well, he's got the other half, which is, you know, probably pretty good still. But he's not done. He says, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, uh uh-oh, now we're in trouble. I hereby restore it fourfold. If I took $10 from you, I'm going to give you 40 in return. I mean, you're hoping at this point that he took money from you, aren't you? Like, where do you get an investment return like that? I'll give you $100, you give me $400 back, I'm in. What has he just done? He's just giving away everything that he has. You know, you hear that, and you almost want to kind of help the guy out a little bit, don't you? You kind of want to run over there and go, I think you're getting a little too fanatical here, dude. Like, maybe you're getting a little carried away with Jesus at this point. Like, I understand it's Jesus. He called you out of the tree, and now he's at your house, and everybody else is like, what the heck? And, but you're like, this is amazing. And, I, you know, 
Maybe you should sleep on this. You know, I don't know if you're married, Zacchaeus, but I think your wife might want to have a little bit of this conversation. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> there ain't about, no counseling is going to get you out of this one, pal. What does Jesus say? It's the infallible response. Verse 9, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today, salvation. Today, forgiveness. Today, soul restored. Today, healing. Not here, here. Today, meaning. Today, purpose. Today, the fulfillment you've been looking for, done. The mountain you've been climbing, set it aside. Everything you've been looking for, you got it. Today, that salvation has come into this house since Zacchaeus also is a son of Abraham. And you're like, okay, so wait a minute. Is Jesus saying that he gets all of that because he gave all of his money away and he righted all of his wrongs financially? And he's not saying that at all. Jesus is looking into the heart of this man and he's saying, this man has authentic faith. You you want to know how? He just took everything that he'd been clinging to for all of his life. His wealth, his possessions, that which he used to gain power over everyone else and make them all look up to him while he looked down on them. He just took all of that and he just went like this. Why? Because he's got two fistfuls of me. What is the I think if Zacchaeus was here, he's like, guys, I had it all in a lot of ways. Let me just tell you, all compared to Jesus is nothing. You can have this and not have him and have nothing. You can have him and not have any of this and have everything. If you want to know what you're looking for at the top of the mountain that what you're climbing, it's him. And then Jesus gives us the climactic statement of this story when he says this. He says, for the son of man came into this world to do what? To seek and to save the lost. You're like, okay, so who is that? It's every person who has not found what they're looking for and who looks at Jesus and goes, oh my goodness, I'm up a tree. Like the life that I've lived has put me up a tree. Like there's, there are things that I've done I can't undo. There are things that I've said I can't unsay. There are places I've gone I can't take it back. There's all this stuff recorded in the book of my life that I can't go out and you know, I'm gonna white out this and I'm going to white out this. You can't do any of that stuff. Like for all the good that I've done and for all the stuff that I've gained and for all the things that I've accomplished and for all the applause that I've heard. I got an emptiness in here that nothing I've experienced thus far is able to fill for more than a day or a week or a month. After that, I'm thirstier than I was before and more desperate because now I just start at the base of the next mountain. And I got to climb that this time? Good grief, that's like Everest. It's everybody who realizes that the life that they've led has put them in a tree and then confesses the reality of that before the Lord Christ. And when he sees that, what does he do? Does he run from you? He goes, oh my goodness, you are terrible. Go, oh, good grief. Look at all that you've done. Okay. It's ironic, isn't it? It's like our confessing of all of our failures is what draws him in. He cannot resist that. He rushes to our rescue, and he so identifies with us that our defilement, if you will, becomes his defilement. In other words, he calls us out of our tree. And why and how can he do that? Because after this experience with Zacchaeus, he went up to Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, and then on Good Friday, he climbed up into a tree, my tree, your tree, his tree. And he didn't come down. He came down in death 
having offered and sacrificed his infinitely valuable and perfectly righteous life in the place of all of the guilty. And then he laid in the tomb in darkness. And on the third day, God said, payment received, life given by raising him from the dead. That is the fruit of the life and of the suffering and of the death and of the burial and of the third day resurrection of Jesus for all who believe. It's powerful. I was talking with somebody who's a part of this church after the first service. He said, his name is Jim. He said, I went up to somebody after the service. I didn't know who they were. And he said, hey, my name is Jim. And whoever it was said, well, my name is Zacchaeus. And I said, yes, that's it. It's realizing that that's who you are, confessing that to the Lord and then letting him do his thing. So it's the day that changes everything or nothing depending on what you do with it. What will you do with it? I got two questions and I'm done. So question number one, will you respond to the call of Jesus to come down out of your tree of sin and guilt and shame and to find through faith in him the forgiveness and healing and eternal life that only he can offer? And if you're ready to do that today, when this service is over, we'll be right down here and we would love to pray with you and talk with you about it. Right on. You're like, all right, so I don't know that I'm ready to do that today, but I may at least be willing... Question number two, will you agree to begin a journey in which you consider who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you through his life and death and burial and resurrection? And at Rio, as Mason talked about so very clearly and well, we call that Alpha. And as he said, it starts Thursday night, 7 o'clock. You come from work, come hungry. We watch a video and we have group time and we develop relationships. When we get to the end of Alpha, everybody's like, oh man, do we have to stop meeting? (laughs) Because you become friends and you share powerful things. If you are not a believer, but you're going, all right, I'd be willing to consider big questions like question number one in Alpha, is there more to life than this? Then show up. We'd love to be a part of that journey with you. And we will let you take it at your own pace and without pressuring anything or anyone. But this is the day that changes everything, depending upon what you do with it. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this precious man, Zacchaeus. And we praise you for his brokenness because in him we find a friend. Lord, we have the desire to to live a life that is meaningful. We have a desire to to have people applaud and and give us respect. We have a desire, uh, God, to, to feel like we've made a mark. We want to know that we're significant. We want to know that there's been value to this life. We want to know also that that we're forgiven. We confess that oftentimes we go about it all the wrong way and you come to us in Jesus and you say, you want an identity. Let me give you an identity as a son or as a daughter of me, almighty God, through faith in Christ. You don't have to then prove a thing. You want meaning and purpose. Let me repurpose your life and give you things to do in this life that are eternal in nature because they work eternity into the hearts and minds and lives of people who are eternal in nature. And you might not get a building named after you here, but, you know, I don't know, maybe in heaven. You want forgiveness. You want healing. You want peace. You want joy. You can keep looking fishing in the ponds of this world. It's not going to be enough.
Lord, you have not hidden Jesus from us, but instead you have proclaimed him. My goodness, you raised him from the dead. Give us faith to come to that Jesus and simply to say, Lord, I am Zacchaeus. I'm in a tree of my own making and I can't get out. But I believe that you are God-made man. Come to call me out of my tree. That you have suffered and died that I might have abundant life here and eternal life in the next life. And you have been raised from the dead by which the Father has said, payment on my behalf accepted. Give us that kind of faith. Fill us, Lord, with your spirit and receive all the glory. We praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.